This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, it's Monday the 31st of July. Miranda Sawyer is off on her holes, so in her place you get me, Rob Hutton. And the fun stops now. <laughs> Welcome back to Paper Cuts, the modern newspaper review, where we ransack the morning press for the mad, the strange, the obsessive, and occasionally the brilliant scoops that make it all worthwhile. Remember, we're out mid-morning every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, so subscribe on your favourite podcast app and you'll never miss an episode. Now, here come the headlines for today's show. Car wars. Flailing PM promises more pollution in bid to win back support. Fights on to be right on. The mail has named the UK's most woke folk. Are you on the list? Tax attacks. Papers slug it out to find Britain's most obscure government moneymaker. Welcome to Paper Cuts. We read the papers so you don't have to. Thanks for joining us on Paper Cuts, where we're sending thoughts and prayers to every journo who can't fill a page with celebrities took to Twitter anymore. Celebrities took to X is, of course, potentially libelous, unless you're writing about Sean Ryder. I'm Rob Hutton, and here to squint at the splashes with me, it's screenwriter and historian Alex von Tunzelman. Hello, Alex. Hi. Also joining us is comedian, actor and writer of the detective Roger le Carre crime books, Fergus Craig. Hi, guys. Hello, Fergus. So, what have we got on the front pages today? Alex? Well, the iPaper begins with depressing headline, most households struggling to pay for food and bills as another rate rise looms. The Daily Telegraph and the Daily Mail then, neither of whom has the answer to this. The Daily Telegraph uh, is worried that 50,000 extra families to face IHT, that's inheritance tax. Uh, The Daily Mail is going with £10 billion boost from scrapping tourist tax. Oh, that's fantastic. That's brilliant news. We We can all go on holiday. (laughs) Uh, Fergus, what have you got? Uh, The Times has got uh, PM gives green light for more North Sea drilling. And there's also a banner in The Times. Uh, There's a picture of a lady, a journalist, Helen Down. I'm 50. Only younger men want to date me. Why? I've skim read that piece and I'm no close to the answer. (laughs) Um, the, The subtext is, don't I look nice? I've got The Guardian. Uh, Ministers seek curbs on 20 mile an hour limits in push to woo motorists. And The Sun, sort of along the same kind of theme, has got, uh, now get a move on, Rishi. Uh, PM vows to end anti-car moves. Fed up drivers want more change. It's a Monday morning. So we have the usual site of newspapers trying to decide what the news is when nothing much happened yesterday. And uh, as you were saying there, Fergus, a lot of them seem to have settled on Rishi Sunak's latest wheeze not to lose the next election completely horribly, which is pollution. Alex, the Prime Minister gave an interview to the Sunday Times yesterday in which he described himself as the friend of the motorist. What's going on here? 
Well, effectively, what this seems to have come out of is the Uxbridge by-election very recently, Boris Johnson's old constituency, which, of course, was very, very close, 495 votes in it. Um, and there was a lot of analysis that that was possibly about the ULES, the ultra-low emission zone in London, uh, being expanded. People don't like that. Now, off this 495-vote margin, it seems that that's thrown everybody into conniptions. The Labour Party uh, can't agree on whether it should be pro or anti-pollution. So you've got sort of Sadiq Khan sticking to the ULEZ, uh, Starmer kind of pushing him to potentially drop it. And I think what's happened here really, and what we can see in these front pages, is that the Conservative Party, Rishi Sunak, as, as the Prime Minister and leader of it, have seen an opportunity. Right, because they haven't got much to offer right now. You know, he's got mm. his five pledges, none of which are being achieved. Um, there's kind of, you know, the economy is obviously tanking. We just had some very depressing headlines about all of this. Nothing's going very well. But this is an issue on which at least they can potentially divide the Labour Party. So I think that's why we're seeing all this digging in. Fergus, pro-pollution, anti-pollution? Uh, neither one nor the other. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> You've thought about standing for the Labour Party. Yes. <laughs> this, this whole thing uh, seems very strange to me. A couple of weeks ago, there were uh, three by-elections, one of which Labour won with the second biggest ever swing, right, in a by-election from Tory to Big Labour. swing. That seems like something you would want to keep in the news, like a huge thing to brag about, something to be very confident about. But very quickly, they made the story that they failed to win a by-election because of uh, this ULEDs issue, which is only applies to a few constituencies in the whole country. And ever since then, it feels like we've decided as a country. I don't know if you remember the, the film Leaving Las Vegas, where Nicolas Cage is an alcoholic and he yeah. reaches a point where he can either decide to no longer be an alcoholic or he can just drink himself to death. And it feels like we've decided, we've looked at the weather... <laughs> And we've decided <laughs> it's too hard to sort this. Let's just plough straight car, in. car ourselves to death, right? <laughs> it seems like that's what we've done. When you actually look at the Rishi Sunak interview in detail, what it comes down to is uh, he wants to look again at low-traffic neighbourhoods, which um, for people who don't, I mean, I don't, Live I live in Bromley, where the, the the closest they will get to sort of to conceding a low traffic neighbourhood is telling you that you're not allowed to speed past primary schools. But it's this is about sort of putting it, putting putting, <laughs> putting big bollards at the end of roads so that so that you can only cycle down them and um, bastard kids can play football in the street and this kind of thing. Now you live in. Yeah, the one, one side of my street is a low-traffic neighbourhood. It doesn't bother me particularly. I am not a motorist. I like how the papers always talk about motorists, like they're this protected small group and not like 90% of the population. <laughs> but um, yes, I live in a low-traffic neighbourhood. It seems like a good idea to me. I will say what it does in practice, what it seems to do, is it means that people drive a lot longer to get round the low traffic neighbourhood, and therefore I am sceptical about what it actually does to reduce pollution. I don't know the stats on that, but I'm sceptical. They have very little to say at the moment. They don't have many policies. There isn't much wiggle room financially. So this is an opportunity for something that they can talk about that will make Labour uncomfortable, right? That's what they're doing. Right? Yeah. So, so in fact, he's up in um, Aberdeen today, or somewhere in the northeast of Scotland, 
Um, and uh, what's he talking about there, Alex? He's probably got there in another helicopter. <laughs> Seems to be the way he does it, just to really nail that climate change, really make sure it happens. Well, he seems to be talking in Scotland about, uh, we've got this story on the Times about him giving the green light for more North Sea drilling. Um, this is uh, kind of very, very worrying from an environmental perspective. Um, but it seems like he's now decided that, again, on the basis of 495 votes in Uxbridge, that all green policies are now bad news. And he's just going to not only kind of talk about kind of motorists and how they need to be protected and low traffic neighbourhoods and all this kind of stuff. He's actually just going to fully just mess up the North Sea while he's at it. Let's just drill, 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 you know. So it seems to be really leaning into this kind of anti-green policy agenda. Although there are warnings elsewhere where people are sort of commenting that he's actually not really rolling back any of the net zero policies so quite as dramatically. 40 Conservatives um, uh, have written to him uh, demanding that he push back the ban on petrol and diesel cars, which was due to be a 2030, but... Um, uh, it's not a ban on having them, but a ban on selling new ones. And actually, he's sort of, he's on that, he said, no, we're not going to do that, which is mm -hmm. why I'm slightly sceptical about whether this is actually as good as, not as good as, as, as big as The Sun and other papers are making it sound. If, if really all you're doing is uh, making it easier to drive down Fergus's street, how much of a change is that is that actually for sort of for the motorist it's not going to make a huge difference is it you are still going to have the problem in 2030 if we're all in electric cars if there is a zombie apocalypse or an alien invasion where the electrical grid goes down we're not going to be able to escape yeah. and no one's talking about this <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Keep going. And I think the mail might pick that one up, yeah, actually. They're <laughs> pretty keen on it. <laughs> now, are you on this year's list? Gary Lineker is, and so is the Archbishop of Canterbury. But Carol Vorderman's missed out. Yes, it's the mail's woke list. I have to say, when I looked at this, I thought newspapers should have enemies. And one of the things that the mail... Actually, one of the things that makes the mail successful is that it has its sort of it has its kind of pantheon of enemies, and it knows who they are, and it it knows how to attack them. And I mean, there's there's people on this list. Frankly, you have to be extremely online to know who Jolly and Morn is, for instance, um, Camille Fox Killer of, uh, of 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 London that that he is. It, it, but but the, the the Mail on Sunday has identified him. As, as somebody that its readers ought to hate. Alex, you think I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, I don't actually see why newspapers do need to have enemies, particularly when it's a case of they're really just picking on people. I mean, these people have no right of reply. Like, what is some museum curator or librarian supposed to do if the mail attacks them, apart from just be quite upset about it? I mean, there's no sort of comeback for them. They won't have been phoned and told about this. They won't have been given any sort of comment. They'll just be pilloried, basically, in a newspaper for some kind of imagined thought crime. And I think... It's pretty indefensible, really. I mean, you know, obviously there are some people who are probably pretty delighted to be on this list, quite into their self-publicity, but I'm sure some of these people also are kind of either baffled or 
perhaps a bit offended because what it will do intentionally is whip up a load of hate. Those people are all going to have a horrible day on social media today, um, getting mm. unpleasant messages from the kind of people who make it their business to send those. Um, and to what end? It's just a sort of 10 minutes hate. So I don't really see any, I don't think it's journalism. I think it's basically bullying. I mean, it's interesting, actually, social media does change this because if you'd appeared on one of these lists 20 years ago, you know, it, 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 it takes quite a lot of effort for any mail on Sunday Sunday reader to sort of to track down, you know, your address and then write a letter and then put it in an envelope and stick a stamp on it and post it. Whereas now, you know, I can go online and I can find your Twitter account in two minutes and I can I can send you some abuse, which actually is always I yeah, you know, it is true. When I whenever I get somebody even if somebody just writes and says that wasn't very funny, I think, oh, you know, I'm doing my best. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm and trying. you're not being held up as a national villain. That's yeah, just no, a piece no, of yeah. mild criticism. So, yeah, I think it's pretty brutal. I mean, and I don't, I think the kind of inability to define even what it is, what wokeness is, you know, some of the sort of supposed thought crimes on here seem pretty minor, you know, people who just sort of mention the menopause. That well, seems to be a recurring yeah, but, but problem. You, so, so that's, a, that's an interesting example because... Matt Jukes, the Assistant Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police, um, during Menopause Awareness Month in 2022, he wore a menovest with heated pads so that he could gain a heightened awareness of the experiences of menopausal women. Which, I, I mean, that's a bit daft. Okay? It is like, a bit daft. And, and, say it's probably a little bit daft, and, and maybe we can I, sort of take the mickey out of that. But on the other hand, uh, this uh, permanent secretary at the Ministry of Justice, this civil servant who's been pilloried here as the Queen of Woke, seems merely to have spoken of the importance of having a governmental menopause network to for people to talk to. So the menopause is just a problem, whoever's doing it, even if you're doing it in a sort of sensitive, inclusive way is rather it, than a it, slightly daft way. Is it woke way. to care about women in their late 40s The menopause is now? woke. I mean, uh, yeah. right, OK. <laughs> but I suppose the, the, the one thing that... that I do the, the 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 part of me that is that basically is the the latent right wing telegraph reader waiting to sort of flower and emerge emerge out of my male menopause. Sure, I, stop know. pretending, embrace it. Yeah. <laughs> he sort of looks at this stuff and says, "There there is a thing that is quite annoying, which is the sort of what used to be called greenwashing, but it's now wider, where." People and companies sort of do high visibility, easy stuff rather than sort of low visibility, hard stuff like, you know, the assistant commissioner of the Met. If if the assistant commissioner of Metropolitan Police really wants to help women, I might humbly suggest that they should employ fewer sex offenders as police officers in the Met and ideally employ no police officers who kill women at all. That That seems to me like a a useful thing that the Metropolitan Police could do to help all women. And, of course, the thing is, it's actually really hard to do that and, and difficult and they're struggling to do it. But I mean, that's it, pretty damning, isn't it? <laughs> really hard not to employ anyone who murders or well, abuses women. They, 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 should they, they, it be hard? <laughs> I mean, should no, that absolutely be sort of no, basic? No, it, it, but, but, that, it, but it, it's sort of... It's like, it's like when, you know, sort of companies... Um, Make a big deal out of uh, out of their, I don't know, their sort of out of Pride Month or something, but don't give their staff anywhere to sit down uh, in, on their coffee breaks. And you think, right, well, okay, it's nice, it is nice that you're celebrating all of your staff, but maybe also it would be nice if you actually treated your staff not like slaves.
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. There is no higher example of the newspaper person's art than the truly great headline. The one that stops you in your tracks, makes you laugh, or makes you marvel at the puntastic ingenuity and I have to admit that as a sub-editor, I was really bad at these. <laughs> but we know that some of our listeners are even better, certainly, than me, and even than the hardened subs of former Fleet Street. And every Friday, we ask you to fix the headline. We give you a story with a not particularly great headline on social media, and we ask you to come up with a better one. The best one wins a Paper Cuts t-shirt. On Friday's show, we had a tale from the mail with the self-explanatory, but not very thrilling, headline, pub where the Sunday roast is so good it has a four-year waiting list. I mean, it, it's okay, but it's no super cali ballistic Celtic were atrocious, is it? So, what did our listeners suggest as an improvement? David Whittam went with We'll Meet Again, M-E-A-T, get it? Very good. Hats off to Jake Anders for delayed gravification. David Anchors gets a small round of applause with better plate than never. I do like that, actually. That's better than anything I could have done with. <laughs> but the winner of a T-shirt for sheer linguistic gymnastics is John Penny for the frankly magnificent Stop, Wait Four Years, Mr. Roastman. <laughs> Just well done, John. Um, we'll be in touch to get your size, and a paper cuts t shirt will be yours. Everyone else, there's another fixer headline on Friday's show, so keep an ear out. Back in the actual papers, what remarkable headlines have we spotted, people? Fergus. There's a story in the Daily Star about how Noel Gallagher apparently brushed his teeth at a party once and gave himself a black eye somehow. <laughs> Uh, he was drunk, and the headline for that, it only really works if you read it. So if I read it out loud, it's Wonder Wallop. But of course, if you read it, they've just added OP to Wonder Wall. Wonder Wall. If you read yeah. it, it's, yeah. a, it's actually yeah. no, okay. very good. It works, it works on the page. There's a better yeah. one in The Sun, uh, which is a story about a tubby air passenger there's a tabloid term, tubby. <laughs> a tubby air passenger got wedged into his first-class seat for three hours after landing, and the headline there is Squeezy Jet. Well done. <laughs> well done. Well done, that sub. Alex, what have you got? Well, uh, I'm your um, sporting pensioner correspondent today because both <laughs> of the stories relate to this. Uh, this is in the Daily Star. Uh, we have a story that a pensioner with Parkinson's disease is hoping to become the oldest Briton in space. Um, aged 80, and we have the headline, John to Oldly Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. And meanwhile, in my other pensioner story uh, is in the Daily Mirror. We have um, a fantastic 90-year-old lady, Joy Fleetham, who is uh, a, a champion fencer, still doing absolutely amazingly, president of the Bridlington Blades Club and so on. And we have Blade Stunner. 
the thing about the woke list is that slightly it represents what I always think of as editors' obsessions, uh, which are just things that um, newspapers write about because the editor is personally enormously worked up about them. And you sort of can't quite understand why they're in the paper until you understand that the editor was talking to somebody at dinner or couldn't get a phone call in Hampstead or something. There's a series of stories in today's papers that deal with a version of this. Alex, first of all, talk us through the front page of the mail. Yes, so the front page of the mail seems to be one of these obsessions. Um, it's a report that's been commissioned jointly by the mail um, into in its Scrap the Tourist Tax campaign. Um, so what they've done is that they've said um, that there'd be a £10 billion boost to the British economy from scrapping tourist tax. Now, the first what, thing they have what to do... What the hell is the tourist yeah, tax? Yeah, explain Alex. what it is, because it turns out none of us in it, you know, they call it the hated the tourist hated tax. tourist tax. Um, first of all, you have to know what it is, which most of us probably don't. Basically, what they're talking about is allowing overseas visitors to do tax-free shopping. So, you know, you do your visit, you do your shopping, you fill out a form, you get the VAT back right. when you leave the country. Um, don't know why they're obsessed with this. I mean, by definition, it affects zero British people because, obviously, if you're British, you're not eligible. There's a bit in the Daily Mail there where it says that this this will affect every high street in Britain, which I find hard to believe. I, I don't want to, like, you know, I don't want to pick on any individual neighbourhoods but or city. Okay, but we can talk about the high street in Petswood where I live, where, frankly, no one is spending four figures on anything. Well, that, yeah, you know. <laughs> You've got to buy a lot of stuff in Poundland yeah. to get to four figures. You know, I don't, I don't know how many Chinese billionaires are buying stuff in Wigan High Street. <laughs> the Telegraph has got the pernicious death tax. Fergus, tell us about the pernicious death tax. Uh, yes. The, that is obviously a reference to inheritance tax, which the Telegraph has been going on about since the dawn of time, uh, apparently. An additional 50,000 families are set to be dragged into paying inheritance tax, almost four times more than previously predicted. But, I mean, 50,000 families is not very many families. Like, that's enough... Yeah, to this... fill St James's Park, they call it a death tax. I always think if you're gonna tax people, dead people are a good place to start. <laughs> yeah, they're not fundamentally going to complain about it. There's also, I mean, the the the, the telegraphs on full, full on taxes that most people don't pay because inside there's an attack on second homes. I can see that inheritance tax makes sense as a telegraph obsession because even if most people, Alex, you would. How many, how many people? Uh, it's very small numbers. So it's under 4% of UK deaths that incur inheritance tax. I think it's 3.73% at last count. So it's about 40,000 estates a year that are actually affected by it. Very, very I, few. I, I wouldn't be surprised to learn that an awful lot of those people are Telegraph readers, though. Quite possibly. All Telegraph readers wish they were among yeah. those sorts of people. Yeah, I mean, you sort of, the thresholds are once you've, once you've got your married couple's threshold matched up, you, your house does actually have to be worth north of half a million. Quite a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. right. But my favourite um, of the uh, sort of stories that are just slightly bafflingly why are they there is on the front page of the Express. Alex. Yes, uh, the Express has gone with, you know, a shouty, shouty front page. End this farce. Three hours on hold for tax office. And I think what we can all tell is that uh, today, 31st of July, is, of course, when you need to do your payment on account. Yeah, if you're self-employed. Do do, do, do do that if you're self-employed. 
Well, kind of, you, you should have done yeah. it three working days ago. But anyway, yeah, you know, no, crack no. on, crack on, just do a quick transfer today. But yes, quite clearly, this story has come out of a Daily Express journalist uh, having to spend three hours on hold for the tax office, which actually is pretty normal at this time of year because it is payment on account day. It's not all major scoops and celebrity misdeeds in the papers. Sometimes you just want to know if the face of Princess Diana has appeared on someone's garage wall or which expensive handbag we're all buying right now. Mine's from Morrison's. What astonishing tales have we discovered in the depths of the paper? After the front page, but before Dear Deirdre. Alex. Well, as a historian who is rather fond of statues, wrote a book about statues, I was delighted to see the story in the Daily Mail that we've got the first memorial to the Queen and her corgis. There's a statue, seven foot tall statue, so that is a bit taller than life size. The Queen was not seven foot. Um, What what vintage Queen are we talking about? It looks like they've gone for, so of course this is the late Queen, to be clear, Elizabeth II. It looks like they've gone for, I'd say, like a mid-period Queen, you know, if we're looking at 1960s, 1960s. So they've said it's an important phase in her life when her children were young and she was a powerful force in the Commonwealth. Don't like the shade there that she became not a powerful force in the Commonwealth. I mean, she did remain head of it. Um, But yes, here we have a sort of maquette going up of it as a sort of a, a, a... clay model, basically, of it. It's going to be outside Oakham Library in Rutland um, and it features the Queen kind of pushing back her cloak with a with a corgi emerging from the bottom, looking a the, little bit like Paddington. Well, I don't... Or, or, I mean, the corgi looks like a bit like Paddington. I, the, the pushing back the cloak, it's, it's a bit Game of Thronesy. It's a bit sort of kill them all. It's slightly Daenerys yeah. Targaryen, yes. I mean, you know, which is a little bit frightening. I mean, and of course, it will be very large. So very imposing, no doubt. I mean, you know, it's, I'm afraid, as statues go, I mean, you know, they are all mostly pretty naff. This one's definitely pretty naff. The thing about statues is that the statues that we know, as particularly in London, they've all been around for like at least 100 years. So they're part of the furniture, you just get used to it. But when they first were unveiled, all statues, when you first see them, look shit. (laughs) <laughs> don't they they have to be there for a hundred years before you sort of accept it's just there but all new statues that's my yeah who would want to be a sculptor because they all look <laughs> shit until you're dead they have said in this story uh, there's a kind of a bit of a fudging it slightly at the end that the king has been asked to unveil the statue once it's completed doesn't say he said yes yeah course, that's, that's King Charles III's brackets invited brackets yeah for the unveiling yeah, invited. ceremony yeah yeah, Not accepted. F- familiar with that, that technique. That's, uh, and who's paid for this? Um, well, I mean, <laughs> I can tell you that's always controversial. It says that £125,000 for this statue, a huge amount of money, has been raised by public subscription. Now, when I've looked into the history of various statues that have supposedly been funded by public subscription, for instance, uh, the famous statue in Bristol of Edward Colston was supposedly funded by public subscription. When you look into the finances, no, it wasn't. A rich, obsessive person paid for the whole thing. And that's pretty much what I suspect has happened here. Because whenever you look into public subscription, funnily enough, it's always been quite hard to pay members of... So those those statues statues in London that say paid for by, you know, the the, the men of his regiment or whatever, that's... So sometimes regimental statues are raised by that, but it's always been pretty hard to convince members of the public that rather than giving money to, say, animal charities or needy children, they should pay for a statue. I mean, it's not a particularly good use of your charitable giving um, for many people's point of view. So actually, it's pretty hard to raise this kind of cash. Fergus, what have you got? Uh, I've got something from the Daily Telegraph. 
Uh, why William must wear a kilt? Um, <laughs> he must. He must wear a kilt. Yes. I mean, as opposed to what? Nothing. I mean, yes. Please put a kilt on. This is an example of. I was thinking about this today. This is the like fifty-second thousand and something issue of the Daily Telegraph. It, it's a weird thing, isn't it, that we have in this country where there's sort of ten book-sized publications released every single day. Well, of course, I'm talking about newspapers. There is so yes. much. <laughs> there is so much that has to be written every day, which means a lot of it, when you actually drill down to into it, is about absolutely nothing. <laughs> Um, uh, the headline is Embrace the Kilt Embrace the Kilt, William Despite its checkered past Which is a good pun Yeah, actually. yeah, no, I'll have that You can have that yep. um, I report that Prince William hates the thing And after being made to wear one as a child Now refuses to wrap his loins in one Has once again <laughs> raised serious questions About the part the kilt plays In modern day Scotland And I've read the whole of the piece And at no point does it tell me What those serious questions are and that bombshell brings us to the end of today's Paper Cuts. Thanks to Alex von Tunzelman. Thank you. And thanks to Fergus Craig. Thank you. And thanks for listening. And don't forget to follow Paper Cuts on your favourite podcast app. If you really like us, then leave us five stars on Spotify and Apple and a full-on umpa pumpa park lifers at Wembley Review. Don't forget, fix a headline. Follow our Twitter and threads for a story with a rubbish headline that you can improve and you might win a T-shirt. I've been Rob Hutton. You've been listening to Paper Cuts on a day when furious Dorset locals, outraged at anglers parking on their beach, daubed the words no parking on one side of a car and on the other side, I am a twat. See you next time.